This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 247. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, Essekers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here and I'm very excited about this particular episode because we are kicking off a series that I'm calling Conversations About Shit That Matters with Unqualified People. Today, my friend Elizabeth D'Alto and I are talking about some really important topics. It is topics around doing the work in terms of racism, white supremacy, and more. And you might be wondering, especially if you are newer to the podcast and haven't heard me talk about this before, you might wonder what this has to do with personal development. And even if you're not wondering, I'm going to tell you what I think this has to do with personal development. Here's the thing. The deeper I get into my own personal development work. And even in my trainings that I have done to be a coach and a facilitator, the more I can see that the root of the problems many of us face as women, feeling not good enough, lack of confidence, etc., is rooted in patriarchy and it's rooted in white supremacy. That term white supremacy might make you uncomfortable. And Elizabeth and I address that in our conversation that you're going to hear in just a few minutes here. And trust me when I tell you that there was a time many years ago that I would have disagreed that the root of the problem is just us. You know, like we are the ones who are responsible for our own feelings and our outcomes that we want and our belief system. And Back then, you know, looking back (laughs) on my own work that I've done and my own sort of um, journey in this world of personal development, back then I hadn't done enough work, nor, and this would have been largely unconscious at the time, nor had I wanted to admit that a system that I largely benefited from could be the problem. And while, of course, I think that much of our the results that we want, much of uh, the type of woman that we want to be is our own responsibility to do the work and to change that. I tell you all that all the damn time. But I've known for a long time that, because I get asked this question, where does it come from? Where does my inner critic come from? Where do my core beliefs come from? All of these struggles and challenges and obstacles that that many of us, if not all of us, if you're listening to the podcast, then you have faced them at one point or another. Where does that come from? I talked about this in my second book too. I believe it comes to, it comes from one of three things. It can come from your own family of origin. I think you, I just don't think anybody comes out completely unscathed from their family of origin. Even if you came from a house that largely had a lot of encouragement and love and affection and all of those great, wonderful things. I think it also could come from past relationships that we have had, whether they were romantic relationships or friendships or even um, mentor coach, those type of relationships. And I also think that it largely comes from our culture. What kind of culture were you raised in? And 
of course, I can only speak for the U.S. because that's where I was raised. But we have a problem on our hands. And, you know, I think no culture is perfect and we all have a lot of work to do. So sitting over here as a facilitator of this work, obviously I have no control over your family of origin and your past relationships that you have had before. I can give you resources. I can give you tools and strategies to hopefully give you a solution so you can do the work and be the best you that you can be. All of those things to help honor your values, et cetera, et cetera. But I can't sit here and ignore the giant white elephant in the room (laughs) that is patriarchy and misogyny and white supremacy. So please stay with us. Again, Elizabeth and I will talk about that term. And I want to make it really clear. We touch on it a little bit when we begin the conversation. This is not an interview where I'm interviewing an expert. That's why I called it conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people. And it is tongue in cheek. I wouldn't bring on someone that I didn't think would be at least somewhat helpful to you. But this is similar to the conversation I had with my friend Kate Anthony a few months ago when we were breaking apart and talking about diet culture and body image and our own journeys. That was simply a conversation, not a not coming from a place of teaching. And that's what this conversation is as well with Elizabeth. And sort of circling back Back to what I was just talking about, you know, when I talk about the, the problem at large, one of the heavier topics that I am passionate about is dismantling rape culture. Rape culture, if you don't know, it is, I, I highly encourage you to Google it and do some research on it if you're like, I don't know exactly what that is. Basically, it is a system that normalizes and trivializes sexual assault and sexual harassment of women. It's the idea that women's bodies are disposable, that sexual violence is normal, and on and on and on. A couple of years ago, I realized that there is a direct connection from rape culture to patriarchy and white supremacy and misogyny. And so began my work over here on my own so I can better educate. As the mother of both a son and a daughter, I personally could not raise my children without addressing this in my own life and as their parent and as a partner to my husband, who's a straight white male. And also as a person who has a platform and does this work, I am not okay with a culture that makes it okay that we teach girls to not get raped, but at the same time, we very, very rarely do we talk to our boys about not being rapists and not raping. And it is such a bigger problem than just, you know, and I I speak from a white privileged family, and this is a problem that seeps everywhere, absolutely everywhere to all cultures, to all nations, to all people, especially, especially marginalized and oppressed people. So again, I'm over here doing my own work on a ground level, on a personal level. And you'll hear me talk a little bit more about that to Elizabeth and kind of what I've been doing behind the scenes here, why I mostly stopped talking about it on the podcast and what the future holds for me and how that, what that's going to look like in the podcast. 
real quick before we jump in. And also, I just want to say, if you're still listening, fuck yeah. Like, thank you so much. I'm just really proud of this community, really proud of this community for sticking around. I don't talk about things that are comfortable, right? Like, let's be honest. And I think that if you are passionate about personal development, you are someone who's gotten somewhat comfortable, you know, hearing about shame and vulnerability and connection and all these, all these kind of topics that are probably deeply uncomfortable for a lot of people that aren't into self-help and all of that. But if you stick around for this episode and episodes where I'm talking about this heavier stuff, I genuinely, genuinely thank you from the bottom of my heart because this is so incredibly important on a human level. So thank you. Real quick announcement. Patreon. I have a couple of solo episodes coming up about core beliefs and the inner critic that were suggested specifically by Patreon pledges for the show. So if you haven't heard, I have decided to let go of all outside advertising and sponsorships, no outside influence to the podcast. So we are going to be totally listener supported. The podcast is always free. And if you have the ability to support the podcast, it takes a village over here. I have a producer and and coming up, we're gonna make a video of like behind the scenes of what it takes to put into a pod, one single podcast episode. So we're excited to, to show you that. But there's a lot of perks. If you are a Patreon member, again, you can suggest show topics. Super excited about that. And that's what these two women have done. And I'm getting started and creating podcast episodes from their suggestion. And every month I do Ask Me Anything videos live. And you can come live if you want, or you can just listen to the re-recording. Last month, I answered a question from one of our patrons who was wondering about an uncomfortable situation she had with her friends, and she wanted my advice about it. It was such a great question, and I think that happens to so many people. And then the month before that, one of our pledges asked about starting her own coaching business. And I don't do consulting hardly ever anymore for coaches. And so if you want want any advice about starting your own coaching business, that's where you're going to get it is to become a Patreon. There's, I do book giveaways and all kinds of things over there. So of course the link is in the show notes, patreon.com slash Y-K-A-L. You can read about the different tiers. I have three different options for you and you can pledge the show for as little as a dollar an episode. Okay. That would be so incredibly helpful as well. All right. So without further ado, here is Elizabeth conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people. <laughs> well, welcome back to the show, Elizabeth D'Alto. Thank you. I love being here. I believe this is your, <laughs> that was very, that sounded very, like you're kind of in trouble. You need to calm down <laughs> and act professional. But I meant it. I love being here. Okay. I love talking to you. Well, and for those who, you know, didn't hear before, we were, we were goofing off and acting silly and having fun. And I think this is like your fourth time on here. So third yeah. or fourth, third or fourth time. And you've been on for various different topics, and I called you on the show because actually you're kicking off. I mean, I've done it one other time, but it wasn't official that I'm starting this uh, series on the podcast called Conversations About Shit That Matters with Unqualified People. Yes. <laughs> 
I've done it one other time with my friend Kate. We talked about diet culture and I brought you on today. Okay, here's the kind of interesting part. I'm not sure if I told you this or not, but I decided that I wanted to have someone, this is maybe at least a month or two ago, I decided I wanted to have one of my real life friends slash colleagues on to talk about these important topics. And I asked a couple of my friends and they were like, nope, won't touch it. What? <laughs> I was like, why? And the reason was just that they feel so uneducated about this topic oh, and nervous. And I'm like, but that's the point. That's why it's called what it's called. But you were brave enough to say yes. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, listen, I've been doing this on my own platform and I, I said yes, because you are specific that I'm, we're not qualified to talk about this. So it's clearly going to be an exploratory conversation. We're not pretending in any way, shape or form that like we're experts, nor that we're here to teach people. We're literally here to explore. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why you asked me is because I did this on my own podcast with our mutual friend, Rebecca Baruki, and we, there is a lot of value. I got a lot of feedback from that episode that people really appreciated hearing us Mm -hmm. talk about how we're learning, how we're exploring, obviously giving all the caveats so that it is as clear as possible, harmful as possible. (laughs) Yeah. And what I like to say is, we are guaranteed, or at least I can only speak for myself. I am guaranteed to step in shit during this conversation and say the wrong thing. And I, I, I had a couple of episodes last year, maybe even more than a year ago, where I had people on talking about this. And I recently thought about pulling them because I'm like, I sounded like an idiot. I mm-hmm. sounded probably like the most privileged white lady in the world, but I think it's important for people to hear my own trajectory and my own yeah. learning, my own um, waking up and becoming conscious to these things, learning about my unlearning stuff yeah. and to see, wh- because I, I don't think I'm unlike a lot of people. And I know my audience, they are predominantly white women. What I want this to provide is mostly for white women to learn from our conversation, because I learned a lot from that episode that you did with Beth. And I will link to it in the show notes. Go over and listen to it, everyone, because you talk about cultural appropriation, fetish, fetish, I have such a hard time saying that, fetishization, Mm -hmm. say that with a mouthful of marbles, and lots of other important stuff. So I highly encourage everyone to go listen to that too. Yeah. And you know, I see, I follow a number of race educators. I've had a number on my podcast and what I consistently, specifically see black women who have been doing this work for decades say is stop being afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing. Just keep doing your work and just like fix it, make amends when you do mess up because it's guaranteed that you will, but keep going because it's the holding back. It's the not saying anything. It's the not speaking up. That's the actual larger problem. Like if we're going to compare, if there's a hierarchy of harm, not saying anything and not doing any work is far worse than like putting in the effort and messing up Mm -hmm. More effort is needed now. At least that is how I am seeing a lot of people say, and it's kind of like this message from people of color to white people right now. It's like, we need more freaking people stepping up, speaking up and doing the work. Yeah. For sure. And that's what you and I are doing. So again, even though it's already been said, this is not a teaching episode. If you learn something great, but we are not trying to pass as experts on this and we're just going to dive into some topics. Yeah. 
Well, there's so many different directions. You know, you and I have been chatting uh, before this episode over the last week or so about what we could talk about. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of different things. Do, do you want to start with, and I'm curious about this because I don't really know the whole story. You had something that happened recently. I think it was this week or late last week where you called someone out on social media. What happened? Because I think this is a good learning thing for people. Yeah. So this is really interesting. I've been really dancing around over the last like year and a half with what is my role as a person who wants to actually be an ally. What I have learned is that requires acts of solidarity, right? Um, Latham Thomas, who's at glow Maven on Instagram. If mm-hmm. people want to follow her, I follow her. amazing post a couple of weeks ago or a couple months ago, time is weird about like, we're not interested in your optical allyship. Right. So just like sharing stuff on social media, like that's not enough. The Mm -hmm. other day, Rachel Cargill, if anyone follows her work, um, there was another, literally a black man was murdered in his own apartment in Dallas by an off duty white cop who says that she mistook the apartment for her own. She had lived there for a month. Like, I'm sorry, y'all. Like, all right, let's get the details. But that is a really hard story to buy. Mm -hmm. Really hard. Rachel made a post about it. She shared something from Sean King and a bunch of people in the comments. I loved how she handled this. White women were abounding. This is disgusting. I'm outraged. And she was like, cool, your disgust isn't enough. What action can you take? Your outrage isn't enough. What action can you take? You know, which is great because then I'm like, cool, what action can I take? And I looked up and I called the DA's office in Dallas and I'm like, Hey, what's going on? Is this woman going to be have, is this woman getting charges pressed against her? Like I shared some phone numbers and some other things. So my followers could do it too. It's like action steps, right? Action, action, action. Not just like, great. A conversation can be an action. Sharing something can be an action, but like, what are you doing that actually puts you at risk? Mm -hmm. just like comfortable for you. So anyway, it was around, you know, the memes, the Colin Kaepernick thing. Oh, uh, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And so people have been making all these other kinds of memes. Parodies of. Memes of the Colin Kaepernick meme, which if you don't know what it is, just Google it. Colin Kaepernick. It's K-A-E-P-E-R-N-I-C-K. Um, he's been taking a knee in the NFL. Again, I'm not going to explain the story for you. Easily Googleable. But um, uh, this woman who I really like this person, she's a poet. She writes beautifully. I follow her on Facebook and Instagram. I guess had posted a meme, but she had no idea what it was even a parody of. Oh, shit. Right. <laughs> so apparently, I, don't, I didn't see that post, but I saw the apology post that was the the quality of apology that's not an apology. The apology that's like, I'm sorry this upset people, but I'm on a business and I'm busy and, you know, I don't have room for negativity in my life. So that's not welcome here. But it's like, but where's the accountability? Mm-hmm. Where's the responsibility? And I tried to leave a comment on the post and I couldn't. And so I sent her a DM and I was just like, hey, I have been where you are. And so I just want to offer this up in case you can't see like, here's what was going on. And like, here's why people were upset and offended. You know, like this isn't, it, it was a compassionate Colin. And her response to me was, I'm well aware of my white privilege. Like, yes, I get it. I understand that. Um, so dismissing you basically. Totally. Like, yeah, I get it. Yes. I understand. I'm not afraid to have conversations about race. And I'm like, cool. But like nothing that you've said in your post or in this conversation with me indicate that you actually 
are willing to do anything differently, have a different experience, or even hear why people were offended. All you're concerned about is not having any negativity in your life. Yeah. Super busy. And like spiritual bypassing too. It's a friggin' it's, it's a spiritual bypass. It's entitlement. It's self-centering. And like, that's what white supremacy actually is Mm -hmm. when everything is geared towards the comfort of white people and everything is about the comfort of white people. Like there's so much entitlement built into it. And there's so much like unwillingness and low capacity and fragility around looking at what might actually be problematic about you. And I feel like the word problematic gets overused and people kind of like tune out when they hear it. But the thing is, y'all, so much about us is problematic. So, like, pretty much everything. <laughs> That's what I'm the conclusion I'm coming to. You a lot. Yeah. It's, uh, oh man. So how did it end? Did she just, it didn't end well? No, no, no. She it was, you know, it, it was actually late. Um, there was a difference in the time zone. So at the time I was messaging her, it was like 9 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. her time because she was central time zone. And she's like, I, I um, you know, it's, it's late and I'm exhausted, but I'd be happy to continue this conversation. And I was like, OK, cool. Let me know. But I can uh, I would bet you one million dollars that she's not she going to reach back, back out. Yeah. And so but this has been part of my experimentation in what is my role in solidarity in calling in, you know, gathering Mm -hmm. up my own. I will make these attempts. I will make these efforts with people. When people show me that they're like, they can't hear, they're not listening or whatever. I'm like, cool. And then I move on. Yeah. But I will continue to do that because listen, for every 10 people, the one or two that are like, damn, I never thought about that. Thank you so much. Which by the way, I have been that person. Yeah. I'm willing to continue to do it for the people that are going to be like, oh my God, I had no idea. Thank you. Like, where else can I learn? What else can I do? Because I think it's so important. Like, let's recruit some people onto the transition team of those of us who are friggin' waking up and learning mm-hmm. and doing our work. The more people that we can have doing that, the better. So that feels worth my time. I agree with you. I And I, for anybody that doesn't know what spiritual bypassing is, I highly encourage you to Google it. Stop what you're doing and pause this and go and Google spiritual bypassing because it's something that happens a lot in the spiritual community and the personal development community. And uh, please go learn about it. But I, I, th- I agree with you. And I think that that's sort of what I've been spending probably way too long, you know, like leaning back on my own fragility and privilege in just figuring out what my role is in this. Because when everything happened... Right after the election in 2016, which is which is kind of a problem in and of itself that like, oh, that's what it took for white women to finally, you know, Trump gets elected and then all this stuff is the the pussy grabbing and the sexism and like all of it happens. And then we're like flipping tables like, oh, hell no, you know, we're not going to do this. And then all these women of color are like, where the fuck have you all been (laughs) before that? And so we're like, oh, shit, sorry, we're so late to this party. And Right out of the gate, I was sort of like, okay, I'm burning the whole thing down. I'm going to, I'm going to jump into this activism and then pretty quickly realized that I didn't know what the hell I was doing yeah, and that it was not actually time for me to do that, that I needed to do my own work on the ground level and do a lot of reading, a lot of listening, a lot of shutting up to see unlearn a bunch of stuff, learn a bunch of stuff, and then kind of figure out what my role in all of this is. And at the same time, take action, very messy. And that's what I've been trying to do. Admittedly, 
entering times of my own fragility and thinking like, I don't know what to do. I am exhausted. But yet again, this is how women of color feel every single day of their lives. So it's been, and and again, I can only speak for myself, but that's what's been going on over here. The point of my story is now, you know, entering fall of 2018, it's been two years since my own kind of wake up call. And what I am finding that I feel has been the most helpful right now in this time and space is like what you just talked about is having these many times one-on-one conversations with people that I'm close to the women and colleagues, white women and colleagues that I talk to even some of my clients on a, on a regular basis where we have just candid conversations that to me has been, are you finding that that's been the most helpful rather than like speaking out on social media and et cetera, et cetera. I'm reluctant to call anything most helpful because honestly, I've been doing so many different things. It's hard to take one and be like, yes, this has been the most helpful, but I will say for sure it has been crucial to have like processing buddies Yeah, to go. Cause what's amazing. And this is like the power of community and this is the power of group and also like collective intelligence, because a lot of us are reading similar books. We're following similar people, but everyone who I talk to, there's a couple people and a couple things they've read that I haven't yet. And Mm -hmm. so they have a perspective or they've had a personal experience that I haven't had. And for me personally, and I I know, I think we were going to touch on this. I'm a mixed race person. So my family is Italian and Puerto Rican. And then I have a little bit German and Irish, um, from my maternal grandmother, but culturally the, the influence that I really grew up with was Italian and Puerto Rican. My dad's whole side of the family is from and lives in Puerto Rico now. And so there's this, there's an interesting experience to being a mixed race person. So I've also, I have a couple of mixed race friends. Bex is mixed race. My friend Nisha Moodley is mixed race. Um, and I have a couple other friends leaning into that because that's another experience in and of itself of being like, well, I, I am part person of color, but I get, I'm white passing. So I get every advantage of white privilege and I'm not really interested in waving this woman of color flag and taking up space when there are so many women of color who like really need to be taking up more space. Like I don't need that, you know? And so there's these interesting evaluations of things that go on. And I, I, I strayed a little bit, but I want to come back to the core question is like, yes, we need I believe all of us who are doing this work, safe people to process with who we could just like say whatever we could be clunky with. And like, they could be like, no, actually this and this. And that's largely what my conversation with Bex was like, we, she was even like, well, how about this? And how about this? Like during the conversation, cause we've been learning in different places. Mm-hmm. So really, really valuable because we all shame is not a way to learn. So this is my issue with a lot of these, um, you know, public people who are unpacking white supremacy with people, but then like being like pretty nasty to people in comments. And by the way, I'm not talking about tone policing, right? Because this is something about like our fragility for me personally, I've always been a pretty resilient person, but I don't need someone to be sweet or nice to me for me to be able to hear what they're saying. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I can hear you through your anger and and your anger is justified. Like I'm not listening for whether or not you're being nice to me. I'm listening for what you're friggin' saying to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I don't need that. But so many people like they respond to the tone or whatever, but there are a lot of people who are just, I love, you know, there's so many people who have been saying this, so I don't even know who to credit it with. The master's tools are not going to dismantle the master's house. Right. Right. If we're using the same tools of oppression to teach 
how to stop being oppressive, that shit's not going to work. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen lots of things <laughs> go down. Yeah. And I'm just like, ugh. and sort of indirectly related when things quote unquote go down, I learn a lot from the comment section. I have yeah. seen stuff yeah. happen where, and I'm usually not one to be like a, like a voyeur, like just read the comments. I usually am, I'm always one to participate in the conversation. But when it comes to this and I've seen stuff go on, I've read, I've spent a lot of time reading the comments and where, what I find valuable, and I hope this is helpful for people listening, is that when I read a comment from a white woman where I'm like, oh, I could see myself having posted that a year ago. And then she's getting sometimes just slaughtered online for, for leaving that comment. But it's, I, I'll, I say that to encourage people listening to go even, I mean, hate to say it, but like when there's drama happening as there have been, if people with platforms have been called out and some people get defensive and arguments ensue, go read the comments and see who's having the conversation and and see if you see any of yourself in there and read and listen to women of color. Yeah. Yeah. And I made this post a couple months ago on Instagram that was just like, Hey, like just be discerning about who you choose to be your teachers. Cause there's no shortage of race educators out there. And the person with the biggest platform and the most Instagram followers is not necessarily the most qualified person. Mm -hmm. And that's a really, it's a really big smoke and mirrors. It's really dangerous. It's also, you know, leave your news feed. Go actually look. I have a girlfriend up in the Bay Area. We're looking at um, taking a restorative justice training in the Berkeley area. I mean, like like some real deal trainings, like not because I want to do restorative justice work, but because I want to learn from people who have been doing this on the ground, in the field, organizing, being activists, you know, for decades. Because mm-hmm. for so many of us, and when I say us, I'm just going to blanket us together as white women. When Donald Trump was elected, people were like, oh, my God racism is back. And it's like, no, it's no, always been here. Shit never went anywhere. Like yeah, it just looks it's different. kind of like, it's, it feels like a new wave of the civil rights movement because things are so different, right? Like with, with the tool of social media, mm-hmm. conversations are rampant and different, but also there's just, there's a lot of really inaccurate and unqualified teaching and space holding happening. Yeah. Like, cause for me personally, I'm kind of obsessed with like teaching and learning and educating people. Like I take a lot, I take that responsibility very seriously in my work and cultivating learning environments that keep people engaged, that someone will finish a program, someone will follow through, someone will keep practicing and staying in the work. And so that's really like, when I say I take issue with people who are like nasty to folks in their comments, listen, I'm the boundary queen. I am, I have no problem with like asserting your boundaries, telling people what is and isn't okay and acceptable in your own space. But when you're literally like, nasty to someone or actually shaming them, then they're just going to bail from the conversation. Like how can we address people in a way that they stay engaged? Right. And, and there's a difference between, and I, I know I'm like rambling and this is your show, <laughs> but I know you've done a ton of the Brene Brown work and I just see there being such an important distinction between shaming and holding people accountable. Cause I feel like this is one of the things of fragility I see happening Mm-hmm. White women go, you're shaming me, but no one is shaming you when they're just like trying to hold you accountable. Right. But then sometimes people really are shaming you. Are you? It does. Yeah, that? it's really interesting. And I've thought a lot about this. And 
it's it's interesting because what Brene says on the topic, like on one hand, I've heard her teach us as trainees that shame is never appropriate. But then when that whole like Charlottesville happened, she was saying like, yes, <laughs> these people are not trying to hide. They are out in the open and that's that's appropriate. So I'm like kind of confused about what her take is on it. But as as someone who's trained in this work, I, I feel like my it's my opinion that there's a very fine line between, let me see if I can explain this well. Somebody who there's like, say you're a person and you and I are in an argument and we're friends and you know specifically what my triggers are. Maybe yeah. you know that I feel embarrassed and insecure about the hair on my upper lip <laughs> and you make fun of me about it. And like, I mean, we've all probably been in romantic relationships where we have done this to people. Mm. That's shaming someone like where you know what their triggers are and you're purposely trying to hurt them, to invoke that in them, to yeah. make them feel small. To me, that is what intentional shaming is. If you are calling someone out on their terrible behavior and it feels shameful to that person, that's different. That's holding someone accountable. And I have ways that I talk to my children about that because I'm their mother and from a very nurturing place. But that's that's fragility. Like that's us being so so attached to a, so attached to white supremacy and sometimes not even knowing it and so incredibly fragile that we don't, you know, we're so uncomfortable that we just can't be with these uncomfortable conversations. So it's easier for us to put the language of you're shaming me. I think that's where it's tricky. And that's where it's sort of, it pisses me off when people use that, like, don't shame me. And and it's like, Fucking yeah, get but over it's yourself. Literally not about like, you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not. That was really helpful. And I'll toss this into the mix because I think this is super important. I'm actually remembering when all that drama went down with Danielle Laporte's lighter mm-hmm. launch. Mm-hmm. And I re- I didn't really participate in those conversations, but that was one of those instances like you were referring to earlier where I did a lot of reading in the comments because yeah. I'm gonna um, stop you for a second. For anybody that doesn't know what happened, Google Danielle Laporte and then the word lighter. There's a great medium article that breaks yeah. down everything that happened. She's somebody who's in our industry who has a very, very large platform. She made a mistake and there were racist things that happened and drama ensued. So continue, Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. And rightfully so. Like she should have been called out for some of yeah. her stuff. She made an initial apology that wasn't great. Mm-hmm. You know, someone on her team deleted things that they shouldn't have deleted. Mm-hmm. Like there were there were a couple of mistakes. Um And I know that she is doing her work to get educated, educate her team. Like there was like, there were a lot of moving parts to that. And I'm not, I'm not justifying it anyway. There were many mistakes that happened. What I'm saying is that it was, it was messy and it was a really great learning opportunity for a lot of people to look at. Um, And the way people responded was really interesting, but that's not the point I wanted to make. The point I want to make is this. Um, So there's, there's shaming, like you just described, right? Um, and, and there's holding people accountable, which will often trigger feelings of shame. Right. And rightfully so. Mm -hmm. Just because you feel ashamed doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Right. Mm -hmm. I think because of the work of Brene Brown, people are like, Oh no, say no to shame. But it's like, yeah, but listen, (laughs) sometimes when I feel ashamed, I should, because I did something that was not good. Right. And I to do better. Right. Exactly. And I think that's, So a lot of these conversations, they bring up feelings of shame, guilt, embarrassment for white people. 
and they don't want to deal with that. And so then they'll just project it back out, center themselves and be like, oh, you're shaming me. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that I don't think is productive or helpful. And so I'm sharing this as people, as you're choosing who you learn from, just watch for this in leaders, leaders who are petty are not people to learn from. Yeah. And when I say petty. So to use the Danielle Laporte thing as an example, I remember someone commenting, oh, I can just imagine, you know, Danielle WhatsApping Marie Forleo and Chris Carr and being like, light the candles and roll out your yoga mats, girls. This is a big one. And I'm like, how is that necessary? How is it helpful? And honestly, and this was a leader. This was she a was doing that publicly? Like, yeah. Oh, it was shit. And I was like, yo, that's like, because again, when you're a leader, it's like being a parent and your right. people are watching you yes. by example. So if that's how you're getting down, that is not anything to teach people how to be because that's not, that's not relevant to the argument. That's not accountability. That is straight up petty. Yeah. Oh, I thought, I thought you meant she like did that, like just said that just to you, like texted it no, just to you or something. No, it was on the post. Oh, and then wow. other leaders, peers were chiming in and, and like making fun of it. And I'm like, yo, this is not. That's not productive. So, mm-hmm. Again, what, why I'm bringing this up is be discerning about who are your leaders? Mm-hmm. Who are your teachers? Who are you listening to? Are these people congruent? Are these people doing their work? And and where is their own trauma? Like, where are they with things, right? Because if people are getting involved in petty conversations, their maturity is at a level where I'm personally not interested in learning from them. Yeah. Yeah. You've been great to point out some people like that to me too. And and for the record, while we're on this topic, for those of you, and I hope it's all of you, I sincerely do, that want to learn more about this, look at your look at your feeds, look at your Facebook feed. For me, it was Instagram mostly. I started fo- asking around and following black leaders and activists and even white people that were were doing the work and it's amazing how much i am now learning and impacted and have changed just based on what i am consuming from the media from the media and just in, in general what's going on around me yeah it's really interesting how things are changing. And, and if you want to even just look at who I follow on Instagram and just scroll through, of course, there's going to be a bunch of people that you don't know because they're my actual friends. You can follow them too. But, <laughs> but there's a lot of really great, amazing people of color that I follow that I've learned a lot from. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like really look for the folks. It's not always the people with the biggest following. Yeah. Sometimes the most legit real deal people barely even have a friggin' website. Yeah. For sure. And well, I want to circle back to something that you were saying about, you know, your your family growing up and, and being a white passing person, as am I. But I am she's actually coming on my podcast in December. I'm I told you I'm in um Laren Alta's class. It's called Devotion, and it's a year long and we're exploring a lot of really, really big topics. We just had the class on race mm-hmm. and it was like a total head explosion. The stuff that she taught us and that we discussed, and we're not done with it yet, but we, she was teaching us some stuff about, cause I think that I'm, I'm making this up, but I think that there might still be some people listening who aren't totally sure the impact of white supremacy and maybe even be really uncomfortable with the term. Yeah. And I know that for me now, it's just part of my vernacular and I'm like, it's just, it's a thing. Like it truly, truly, truly is a thing. And this, this education that I got from Laren, which 
I, we were commenting on this Zoom call as a group, and I'm one of my comments was, I can't believe that this is was never taught to us in school. And on the other exactly. hand, I absolutely can believe that it was never taught to us in school. Yeah. You know, who benefits from that, from that right. not being taught to us? White people do. Well, I, w- I won't get into the nuances of, of what she was teaching, but one of the things that has been sort of something I have had to come to terms with and do deeper work from like a lineage familial point of view. And I've just barely scratched the surface because you and I were voxing and messaging back and forth. And you were saying how my dad's whole side of the family speaks more Spanish than English. Yes. Right. Same with my mom's side of the family. So that's my mom's native tongue. She didn't learn English until she went to school. Um, my mom has seven sisters and that's all I heard growing up. And I mean, she used to yell at me in Spanish when she would get really mad at me. And mm-hmm. one of the things that she said, cause like when I got older, I was like, why didn't you ever teach us Spanish growing up? It would have been nice to, to learn that. And her response was that just wasn't something that was done in our family. And without throwing my mom under the bus, um, cause I don't want to, and without going into the nuances of it, what I learned is from both sides of my family. So my mom is Spanish. Both of her parents were Spanish and my dad's side of the family, his maternal side was Mexican. So what I have learned from both sides is that it was part of what they wanted was to marry white. Yeah. And it's very sad to me that culturally it's been whitewashed out on purpose. Yep. And I got in touch with a second cousin of mine. So um, he's actually my dad's cousin. And he's like one of those people who's like obsessed with our family tree. Yeah. I think every family has one. <laughs> yeah, we do. My cousin Martha in Brooklyn. Yep, yeah. We have- it's my cousin Lou. And he, I was on the phone with him um, not long after my dad died. And he, so my great grandmother was his grandmother. And she's the one, her name's Encarnacion. And she said she had 11 children, nine or 11, I can't remember. She said, mm. and he remembers her. And um, he said that she, her greatest wish was that all of her children marry white. Mm, my God. And if they didn't marry white, he said that what ended up happening is some of them didn't even marry. Wow. And I was just like, holy shit. Like it was, it was basically bred out of them. And now, you know, and now I'm, you know, a white passing person, but it was, it was kind of devastating to me, honestly. Like, and there's something that happens to my body. Like I even get goosebumps just thinking about it. When I go to weddings, mostly on my mom's side and there's Hispanic music playing and like everyone's dancing and like everyone knows the music, like except me and like my sister and brother, you know, white kids. And there's something that happens to the family that it's like they have this space, safe space to be themselves, but yet it's not okay I don't know. It's hard to explain. And it's, and it's so sad. And it, and it, and it's something recent that's been going on that I've been learning about over here. Yeah. This is, you know, it's so interesting because so my grandmother and my great grandmother on my dad's side, um, when I was little, both lived stateside for many years. My Abuelita lived in Manhattan after her mother passed a couple of years after she moved back to Puerto Rico with the rest of the family. I always craved like more of that culture. It's mm-hmm. why in my 20s, I started salsa dancing because that music, like there was something that would be like activated in my body mm-hmm. when I would hear 
Latin music. Like I've always loved it. Spanish guitar music, reggaeton, like everything. Like, like, it's like something gets activated in my system and I'm like, I should be able to do this. And I've actually had a lot of shame around not being fluent in Spanish. Like even when I travel around people, I am ethnically ambiguous. And so when I am in Spanish speaking places, people will just like start speaking to me because Mm -hmm. I look like I would speak the language, you know, and I understand a lot. But like something I do, I will make time for eventually is to go like immerse myself and, you know, learn the language and learn more about the culture. Even when I did my Ancestry.com, one of the things I learned is that even my my Puerto Rican heritage, it's Taino. It's the... Um, it's the indigenous culture in Puerto Rico. So it's like my family, I don't have, there's no ancestry. There was no DNA in like Spain or Iberian Peninsula or anything like that. A lot of Mediterranean from like the Italian side, Mm -hmm. but um, it's indigenous actually to Puerto Rico. So, um, so interesting that we find these things out about each other and, and ourselves. And I think you and I were talking about this, which this is something I'd love to find someone to chat about with on my podcast is so there's what's in your blood, but then there's how you were cultured in your family. Right. Right. So like, even for example, I've not met someone this way, but this is what's coming to mind. If someone is adopted into, we'll keep with the Hispanic culture, right? They could be from wherever in the world, but they grow up in a Hispanic household and that's the food and that's the culture. And you're celebrating three Kings after Christmas. And like, you're, you know, speaking the language, whatever, what does that count for? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard, right? Like what, what can you claim? Right. Right. It's so, you know, Dave Chappelle, who's one of my favorite comedians, of course, he has his problematicness like every comedian has, does a, has a skit, The Racial Draft. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. Um, and I feel like, I can't remember all the details, but I'm pretty sure that um, black people draft Tiger Woods or something like that, <laughs> right? And they, there's all these different people getting drafted. <laughs> And but what's what's so brilliant about it is the commentary on actually, you know, who can claim you and what can you claim mm-hmm. if you are a mixed race person. And like in the United States, there's so much of that because like you're saying, intentional and unintentional, like people just can't help who you love, who you love. But some people like intentionally were trying to like literally whitewash their That's culture. white supremacy. Yeah. To, to fit in here and to Mm -hmm. succeed here. And Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I think that, I think it's sad. I think it sucks. And it's also the way it is. So we have to, we have to navigate it all the time. Yeah. And it, and it really, it tipped, I got tipped off when I had my heritage done and it was more Hispanic than I originally thought. And so I started asking questions. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. So that's how, that's what connected me with my cousin. And then he told me that, and then sort of like connecting the dots with my mom and how the things that she has said over the years and the cultures that she has rejected and mm-hmm. outright rejected and what she has embraced. And I mean, without saying too much, like what she has embraced is whiteness it like that's why i brought it up because you know speaking about white supremacy that's just one symptom of white supremacy there's many many yeah. many and it's just it's become fascinating to me over the last couple of years as i've been doing this work is realizing how much white supremacy bleeds into everything 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 um you know what's so fascinating that i realized about myself um i grew up in new york i grew up on staten island so like talk about like the melting pot yeah. like 
my elementary school, the thing that I, I actually love to think about quite fondly, and I'm so appreciative that I had this experience is I think about like our talent shows in elementary school and how people would bring their cultures, you know, like I remember one of my classmates singing, lift every voice and sing. I remember one of my classmates doing her Bhangra dance. I remember like, there was always like, people were like bringing their culture for real and, you know, dressing in like their, their family's clothes. And I I really got to see and appreciate. And so it's so interesting how, you know, a lot of these conversations are around like whiteness and whitewashing. Um, if there's anything that I internally always kind of rejected, it, it was whiteness. I was always much more interested in culture and in Mm -hmm. customs and traditions and artwork and things from other people's cultures. And also obviously deep from my own like Hispanic culture. Like I remember there was one thing it was like, bring in, I think it was food oriented. I can't remember if it was food oriented or if it was just bring in something from your culture. And I had my, um, Puerto Rican grandmother uh, teach me how to make these pastelios, these, Uh um, beef patty pastry things that are delicious. Um, and being like, man, this is so freaking fun to see like everyone's different stuff, you know? So I've always been much more geared towards that. And, you know, as I'm getting into comedy now, I realize like something I've always enjoyed is making fun of white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so easy to do. So easy to do. Um, <laughs> But, but what I didn't realize is, you know, comedy is just humorous observation. So many of the things that are funny about white people are actually the problems, like uh, mm. legit problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Well, yeah. uh, okay. I have like so many other topics that, that we could jump into. So I want to switch gears for a second because I, I think we only have time for like one more topic that, you know, could of course be like a three hour conversation. I don't even know if you saw my post, um, from last week about, I haven't I talked did. about it. On the I podcast. went, I had seen it and liked it, but I didn't see the comments okay. until you were voxing me about it. And then I went back and I read through some of them. I'll give you the lowdown. And I'm sure a lot of people listening saw this and maybe even some of them commented. So I was on Facebook and saw a post from a woman who was on the cover of Cosmo. I think it wasn't even in the US. I think it might've been in the UK. She's a plus size model. Her name's Tess Holiday. I don't know. I didn't know who she was at all at first. So then somebody had shared it from this dude who, who I don't know. He's like some nutritionist fitness person. And he, his commentary on this post was, this is, and I'm paraphrasing, this is appalling. There's screenshots of it on my Instagram feed if you want to go see. This is not self-love. This is um, celebrating obesity and heart disease and all these health problems. This is self-loathing. And he's making all these assumptions about her. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not going down. So I posted on Instagram. Instagram about it. And basically I was saying, okay, so this happened and I probably wasn't as clear enough as I could have been in my post. And I said, my point is this, let's, let's have a conversation about, you know, what are your unconscious biases towards fat people, towards people of color, towards poor people. And let's look at those. And, and I, I, I was several paragraphs long, my post. So I asked people, the call to action on that post was drop any books in here that you have been reading. What resources are you reading that helps people uncover their unconscious biases out of the, I don't know, a hundred comments I got exactly one person did what I asked. Everybody else jumped to mostly disagree and say that, you know, she's got all these health problems. This is celebrating obesity. This is wrong. That's kind of proving my point. Like, 
right. <laughs> that we have a lot of unconscious biases. To be fair, one of my friends pointed out, you know, Andrew, if you're going to post something that controversial, you're going to get a lot of people who are going to give their opinion and comment on it. Fair enough. What, what are your thoughts, Elizabeth? Okay. So again, something, even though the topic was different, I still want to point out the problems with white supremacy that that trickled into the whole situation, which is one of the biggest ones, which is entitlement. People feel entitled to just write whatever. Like there's always space for their opinion, right? You, you made a specific ask. So like there's two things going on here. Well, there's like a million, but the two that really stand out to me are the entitlement and also people don't read. Yeah. <laughs> people are much more interested in like having their say, yeah. And so something else is this. I'm not super close with John Wineland's. I don't know if you know who he is. I met him many years ago through mutual mm-hmm. friend up here in LA. I do, I don't agree with all of his work. I, I do enjoy a lot of it. Um, and I've had some interactions with him over the years, but, um, his daughter, Claire recently passed away. She had cystic fibrosis. Okay. I, is that the, the, my, my last days? Was that her? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I talked about her super in a previous beautiful. podcast. And, you know, I was watching this video of hers the other day where she was talking about, how we treat sick people as a culture. And so what's so interesting is that uh, people assume health, health in and of itself is a privilege. Some people are never going to be healthy a day in their life. Mm -hmm. If you have a a disorder, a disability, something like cystic fibrosis, you're literally never going to be healthy. So even making that a gold standard is, is exclusionary to people who just are not going to be healthy. And then also assuming, like you were saying, all these assumptions that if someone is unhealthy in whatever way someone deems, whether it's that you have a disease, whether it's that you're obese or whatever someone is labeling as unhealthy, whether it's scientifically medical or just based on your friggin' opinion, that does that correlate with whether or not someone could be happy? Like, no, mm-hmm. no, it actually doesn't. And, and, and how are we treating, like pitying people? Part of the message in Claire's video is like pitying people who might not be pitying themselves. Yeah. That's no service. So there's like the whole friggin' thing is just my biggest, anyone listening to this, I hope people will just walk away seeing how much those of us with any privilege center ourselves and look at our privileged existence as quote the norm. Yeah. And it's not. A friend of mine was commenting about something similar to this. And she oh, she was commenting about Evian Whitney's sensual selfie challenge, which recently happened on Instagram. And I was following along with that. And my friend left a message. She's like, oh my God, I was looking through all these pictures and just feeling overwhelmed by the beauty and blah, blah, blah. And you know, all these different shapes and sizes. And then all these like normal, like Midwestern women. And when I responded to her, I was like, Hey, you know, like our unconscious biases run so deep. Like Mm -hmm. even in your message, you referred to like white women from the Midwest being normal. Mm -hmm. I'm like that normal programming, that shit runs so deep. Like what is normal? Yeah. Yes. Also all of that. What I saw over and over again in those comments in my post was maybe not over and over again, but at least a handful of people coming from the place of having loved someone who was overweight or obese and that person having health problems, which I'm not going to sit here and say that it's not a real thing. There's a correlation for sure. For sure. But that wasn't my point. 
(laughs) And it just, exactly to what you said, like what we, what we have so deep inside of our bones that is normal. Even things like, you know, I was reading the book, the novel, The Hate You Give by Angela, damn it, I cannot remember her last name right now. And in the book, it's a novel, it's fiction, but probably based on real events for this woman. There was there was this particular character, and she's um, a young black girl, and she's dating a, a white guy from her high school. And he says, "Why do you? Why do black people have such weird names?" And she's like, "Why are our, our names weird? Oh my and God. yours are normal." What right. if yours are weird and ours are normal? And I read that and I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> yeah. It's just all just and I tell people all the time in terms of just personal development in general, pay attention. Pay attention to yourself. Talk. Pay attention to when things don't feel good. Pay attention. Get curious about things as you snap to judgment, because that's what we do all day, every day. As human beings, we judge, we yeah. you know, put things in categories, et cetera, et cetera. This I feel like is no different. What are you categorizing as good or bad? What are yep. you judging? What are you deeming as normal? And get curious about that. Is that really the truth or is that white supremacy? It's yeah. it's mind-boggling to me how much, again, repeating what I just said a few minutes ago, how much of our culture, if not everything, is seeped in white supremacy. Uh, yeah, and like and even that, like that was another thing that Rachel Cargill had written about in that post. She's like, white women, like your shock isn't helping, (laughs) you know, just like get to work. Yeah. That's pretty much like in my conversation with Bex, again, that you referenced, it's just like, we're just trying to be decent. Like we have a long way to, this is one of the things that Bex said to start out that interview was like, we have a long way to go to even be decent. And the thing is, there's so many of us who have such, so much of our like personality and persona hitched to being a good person when like there are things that are in our unconscious that make us not good, that we're not aware of. And Mm -hmm. as we become aware of them, just do better, just learn, you know? And I just, I want to go back to something you said earlier about like, it wasn't until the election and we're late to the game, like late to the conversation. Like, yeah, you know what? When Desiree Attaway was on my podcast, I think you've had her on as well, right? I haven't yet. I've had a conversation with her privately. She was like, you know, she, she often asked people like, what radicalized you? Mm Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, it was Donald Trump getting elected that radicalized them. For me personally, it was reading Lovey Ajayi's book, I'm Judging You. There were just a couple of things. The way she said it in that book, I was like, shit, I never understood this before. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. And once you've become radicalized, you will never give up. You will never break your commitment to doing this work. Mm -hmm. Because if you actually give a shit about people and you're willing, like part of being an ally or living in solidarity, like whatever the hell you want to call it, I don't even care what it's called, is like we have to give things up. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We have to be willing to go, yeah, I have this privilege. I didn't earn it. And, you know, um, how do we how do we shirk it? I mean, the whole culture is set up to still like constantly be making things easier for me. And it's not that I need to make things difficult on myself, but I can certainly lean into the discomfort of acknowledging that there are so many systems that make my life so much easier. And what can I do on a regular basis to help make it easier for others? Not in a saviorism way, but in a like contributing to like literally just like the betterment of humanity and the dismantling of the systems in an effective way. And I think one of the things that's hard is like, there are certainly 
frameworks and people have been doing this work for a really long time, but it's not like there's proven formulas. It's not like we've seen massive, there's like, uh, you hear the term microaggression all the time. I was actually Googling this the other day to see if it was coined. I was thinking like micro progression, like there's little bits of progress here and there, but like we still have such a long way to go. We do. And I love that Beck said that we, we have, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I have a long way to go to be decent. And I think it starts with, conversations like these. And I hope that people listening are having them at least privately with starting with people that you trust, your other white girlfriends, your husbands, your family members. It just, it's one of those things where I feel like, especially at like what we do, you and I, if you are a white woman leader in the wellness world, I don't care if you teach yoga or personal development or whatever it is, that within the next five years, I hope that it is unacceptable that you aren't speaking about this in some form or another. Yeah. Yeah. And and on that note, and I know we have to wrap up probably in a few minutes, I also just want to say, don't let anyone bully into, bully you into how you speak up right? Like I see a lot of that too. Like if you're not speaking up, I think I had told you this, someone, um, I won't use her name because I don't know that she shared this publicly herself, but you know, someone had written a post that was like, if you're, if you're white feminist leaders who you follow, aren't talking about this, you know, call them in and tag them here. And, you know, someone got tagged in a post, but the reason why she hadn't spoken up about the most recent thing that had happened at that time, which was the murder of Nia Wilson, mm-hmm was, um, she was actually at a black lives matter rally in her hometown. Like she was, she was in the community. She was like doing her work. She was doing something in real life. So like posting on the internet and getting involved in these conversations and social media is one way to participate, but it's not the only way. And it's really important that you find that you just stay consistent and you stay engaged, but not, but don't let people bully you into having to do things in a way that isn't Mm-hmm. for you in the moment, you know? Yes, to all of that. And for everyone listening, thank you for hanging in there with us. And um, as these two unqualified people <laughs> have a conversation yeah. about shit that matters, I will have people of color on this show to talk specifically about this. And then I also will have people of color on the show more so because that is a place where I have... I feel like I've failed in having predominantly white people on this show over the previous years and just lift up, lifting up their voices and, and having relationships with them as well. Not just, yeah. not just having them on to have them on, but that's coming up. And uh, thank you so much for being here, Elizabeth, as always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope it was helpful. It was helpful to me selfishly. <laughs> it's helpful to me. And thank you so much. Remember, if you are a patron, you can come over to the page, Patreon feed and let me know which topics that you would like me to speak on. If you have specific questions for specific guests, you are more than welcome to come on over there and ask me. That is patreon.com slash Y-K-A-L. And until next time, everybody, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Bye.